So if you've got your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, and while you're turning there, I want to kind of refresh you with a thought out of Ephesians 4. Now, Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. The first three chapters talks about who we are in Christ. It's an identity uh, emphasis, if you will, in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Uh, but chapters four through six talk about how we're to walk, how we're to live, and to how we're to uh, conduct ourselves as believers in Christ. Now, Ephesians chapter four, verse uh, 11 and 12 says this, the pastor and teacher's responsibility, listen to this, listen to this, the pastor and teacher's responsibility is to equip God's people some of the other translations says, uh, we're here to equip the saints, meaning holy ones, those who have came uh, to place their faith in Jesus Christ. We're here to equip God's people, listen, to do his work and to build up the church, which is the body of Christ, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son so that we will be mature and full grown in the Lord. So again, the responsibility that we have as pastors, shepherds, and teachers is to equip, which means we're here to help make disciples, but also help make disciple makers. So once I become a follower of Jesus, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. And so the emphasis is we're to be disciples, but we're also to be disciple makers, which means we're not to become a stagnant pond, but we're to be a flowing stream. Who? Each and every one of us. And so that's the emphasis of the teaching. Now, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1, Jesus told this story to his disciples. He said, there was a rich man who had a manager. And this manager was squandering his owner's possessions. And he called him in. He said, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. Now, the Pharisees struggled with Jesus. They were addicted to money. They were hedonistic, if you will, all about being self-consumed with pleasure and whatever. So Jesus uses this story to say, y'all listen up. Listen up. There was a rich man. Now, here, 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 here's some truths just extracted as I move into this parable and into some more teaching. Our God is a rich God. He talks about there was a rich man who had a manager. The rich man owned it. Our God is a rich God. Here's the reality. Donald Trump pales in comparison to our God. Donald Trump is broke compared to God. Gates is broke compared to God. We serve, we know, we worship a rich God. He owns the cattle of a thousand hill. He created the worlds and all that it contains. Second thought, we have all been entrusted with a certain amount. This manager had been entrusted by this rich owner with a certain amount, which means everybody in here today has something. The fact that we have breath means that we've got something. And then underneath that breath that God's given us, all of us have some kind of stuff. Nobody in here is totally broke. But the fact that we've got breath and we've got life uh, is that God's given you something today. You're, you're, not, you're not just left hanging with nothing. Here's another truth. We will all give an account to God one day. 
Who? The Bible says it's appointed a man to die once and then to stand before God. Each and every one of us are going to stand before this God one day. Now, Trevor makes fun of me with my Georgia enunciation, but I use the word naked. Now, Trevor uses N-A-K-E-D a little different. Southern folk pronounce it N-E-C-K-E-D, naked. But we're all going to stand bare before God one day. Now, here's the truth. Even as we intro into this parable teaching story, each and every one of us have been called to be stewards. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What is a steward? A steward is a manager entrusted by his master to oversee some of the master's possession. Whatever the steward had belonged to the master. Whatever he had in regards to time, his talents, his treasures, was to be used wisely with high accountability because it belonged to somebody else. Now, again, we emphasize here that the secret of life is to realize that your life don't belong to you. It belongs to somebody else. You'll go to these leadership seminars and, and you'll hear Anthony Robbins and others try to motivate their crowd. And here's the reality. They'll, they'll try to pump you up on what you can get and what you can gain and what you can become. But I got news for you today. The very essence of your life belongs to somebody else. The secret of life is not found in what you can do here, but it's coming to know the one who gave you your breath. Come on, everybody. Does this make sense? So that's what a steward is. That's what a manager is. He's been entrusted with something that belongs to somebody else. Now, we live in this ownership mindset in our culture. Here, here, here's the thing, though. An owner mindset will come in here on a Sunday morning and go, how much of my money, my time, will I give to God? But a steward will come in here and say, how much of my time and my money can I keep for myself? See the difference of thinking. An owner will ask the question, can I afford this and can't I buy this? But a steward will say, how will this purchase affect my ability to advance and impact the kingdom of God? Steward versus owner. Now, he goes on to say in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, he who is faithful in a very little thing is also going to be faithful in much. He who is unrighteous with little is going to be unrighteous with much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who's going to trust true riches, God-style riches, the things of God to you? If you have not been faithful in the use of what belongs to another, who will give you that which is yours? You see, the emphasis throughout this teaching is it's all his anyway. So when we start to really understand and submit to, I'm just a manager of what belongs to somebody else, it starts to create this urgency and accountability within me. You see, we are all called to be faithful and responsible. Faithfulness is not a stuff issue, it's a heart issue. I mean, let me say that again. Faithfulness to God is not about the stuff you've got. It's about the heart that you have before the one who gives freely.
So we've all been called to be faithful. Now, here's a working definition for faithful. The word faithful means to be true and constant in your affection and your allegiance. It means to stay firm in obedience and to keep the promises that God's handed down. So when we talk about being faithful, we're talking about a person who is steady, consistent, they show up daily, they keep doing the right thing no matter what the pressure or what the circumstances is. We just want to be found faithful. I did a memorial for a lady that had passed away, 52 years old yesterday, and one of her cousins made the statement, because of her heart for God and because of the way this lady encouraged others and extended the love of Christ, he says, I really believe that she's going to hear, well done, good and faithful. So Jesus in this parable is talking about faithfulness. He's talking about being constant and true and steady with your vertical affection and allegiance, but he's talking about fulfilling those promises day after day, after day, after day, you'll never regret it. Now, I wrote this down, just some characteristics of the faithful. Characteristics of the faithful. His objective in life is to know and obey God no matter what. I've got verses with all of this that will be posted on our website. You can grab it. But his Objective in life is I want to know God and obey God no matter what. I've come to this personal realization that Jesus is enough, that Jesus plus nothing equals completion. just want to know him. Second thing, he's committed to walk in the will of God. He's committed to fulfill and carry out God's will with his life. Faithful. He has a love for the word of God. Grass withers and flowers fade, but he knows the word of God remains and stands forever. He has a love for this word. He cherishes it, much like David. I've hidden it in my heart so I won't sin against you. Another thing about a, a faithful person is they have a servant's heart. They realize that it's not about them. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. When you start serving and blessing and encouraging, watch God work. It's a characteristic of the faithful. They have a true love for people. They don't use people to get what they want. They, they have a true love for other people. They know that people matter. They know that other people's stories matter. They, they know that written in the DNA and genes of another person is eternity. You matter. And they love other people. Here's another one. Faithful people are free from bitterness. D did you hear that? You can't have this root of bitterness, and you can't walk in anger and rage. You're not going to be able to carry out God's mission. That's another characteristic of the faithful. And then the last one would be this. A faithful person has learned to discipline his life, whether it be physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually or psychologically or relationally. They, they, they take what we've been talking about in being a champion of saying, you know, I want to run the race in such a way that I can win it. And so my prayer for each and every one of us is that we would take serious before God the, the call that he's placed on all of us to steward and to manage what belongs to him, but we would be faithful, we would be steady, we would be consistent, we would stay with it. Jesus goes on to say in his parable, verse 13, no servant, 
No, no servant, no manager, no, no, no servant can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth and be a champion. So, so you've got to ask the question, who do I serve? Who is my authority? Because who or what I serve or who or what is my authority drives the decisions I make in life. Who, who's calling the shots? Who's sitting on the throne? Who's got the steering wheel of your life? And so I have to step back and go, well, is it really Jesus? Is he really my Lord, my Yeshua master? Is he the controller or am I allowing these other things to call the shot? You can't serve two masters. And so one of the things we talk about here is, again, declaring who's your authority. When you have those conversations with lost people, who's your authority? Even with people who have stayed on the peripheral within the church, you ask the question, who really is your authority? Who controls you? Who consumes you? Who calls the shots? It's either you or it's something else. Now, God says throughout the pages of Scripture, be faithful, be holy, love, give, serve, be generous. Throughout the pages of Scripture, he talks about the first fruit principle. He goes, honor it, stay consistent, stay committed. And I'm going to break down this first fruits in a minute, but I think it's phenomenal. But he goes, I want you to stay with it. There's testimonies in here that people started honoring God with their wealth, and they're like, God's blessed me like never before. There's testimonies of people in here that said, hey, we decided that we were going to be faithful with the, the tithe and the, the 10% and honoring God, and it's been one of the greatest struggles they've had. So when we talk about this, we're talking about an obedient issue. We're not talking about the name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it style theology that's being promoted. We're talking about being faithful talking about being obedient. So I wrote this down. Reasons why people don't give. Reasons why they don't give. Number one, apathy. Just don't care. I'm addicted to my own personal pleasure. I, I mean, honestly, why, why we don't give is we really don't care, dude. Well, who's your master? Who's your authority with that kind of mindset? Two, the reason people don't give is because they're skeptical. They say, well, I, I'm not really sure I agree with those people over there handling my money. I, I'm not sure I agree with the vision of what's going on. So, so they use the excuse of being a skeptic to stay in the realm of disobedience and not be faithful. Another reason is they're just critical. They're not apathetic or just skeptical. They're, they're, they're critical, Nothing is ever good enough. Well, that place is not meeting my needs. Well, guess what? It's not capable. Only Jesus can. But isn't it amazing? I mean, Barb and I, we've been married this year. We'll be 25 years and just looking at the journey and dialoguing with people for the last 30 years in my Christian faith. When I've talked to people about, do you give and honor God financially? I hear a lot of these excuses. So a lot of people are not critical. They're self-centered. I mean, I've got to pay for my stuff. Well, I did give one time, but when I did, I was not validated. Nobody called me and told me that a boy. So you want me to tell you that a boy every day when you're faithful to your wife? No, no, 
No, if my kid's obedience was codependent upon constant applause, thank you for picking those shoes up off the floor. No, 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 I told you to clean your stinking room. I'm not going to applaud you for doing what you're supposed to be doing. I had a way to take that trash out. I'm so proud. No, that's your job, dude. You live here, you eat here, you sleep here. Take the stinking trash out. But people use that when it comes to their faithfulness before God. I wouldn't validate it. Here's another one. I've been wounded. Man, I was burned by the church. I know some of us have been. I was betrayed. I was lied to. This was about 14 years ago. A couple of the dudes in our Bible study, these athlete guys, they were called by this Christian school to be a part of helping this Christian school launch and build a couple of new buildings. And so these two brothers were asked to be on this board to help shape where the direction was going to go. And so as they sat on the board, then the the CEO guy came to them and said, hey, I really want to challenge us. As a board, we've got to ante up. And so each one of these guys wrote a check for $250,000. And so they both said, all right, man, we're, we're, we're in. Three weeks later, the CEO dude fired the entire board, including those two guys. So he did a bait and switch on them. And one of the dudes was livid. He was so stinking mad, and he called me, and he was just absolutely on fire with frustration. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that's happened. I'm sorry you've been hurt. I said, now let me ask you a question. When you wrote that check, did you give it to that dude in that school, or did you give it to the Lord? He said, my heart was I gave it to the Lord. I said, why don't you give this crisis to the Lord too? God will honor your faithfulness. But some of us have been burned and we've been wounded and we've been hurt. And some of us have had that happen underneath the umbrella of evangelical Christianity. I was talking to a dude this week that had worked with this huge, huge Christian ministry in Atlanta. He's been crushed by it been crushed by it but here's a fundamental premise people will let me down people will sell me out people will betray me but the principles of God are still to be adhered to it's like why don't you give I've been wounded here's another one I haven't been educated in this area or I've been misinformed in this area I mean, if you came out of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, you were taught that if you gave 10, God's going to give you 100. It's not in here. It's not in here. You give out of obedience and faithfulness. God says, hey, test me in this area. See if I will not open up the windows of heaven and bless you beyond your greatest dreams. But it's not because we can get. It's because we want to be faithful. So God throughout the pages of scripture says, be holy, be faithful, be generous, understand the importance of submission to the first fruit principle. Listen to what he goes on to say in Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, he says, honor God with everything you own, everything. Give him the first and the best 
Your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. Principle, give him the first and the best. Proverbs 11, it is possible to give freely and become more wealthy. But those who are stingy will lose everything. Meaning, it is possible to live life with open hands, obedient to the Lord, and the Lord continue to pour in and through you. But the stingy with elmers on their hands who won't let go, you're eventually going to become broke. Winston Churchill said it this way. He said, we make a living by what we get but we make a life by what we give. Yeah, so I don't want to just make a living. I want to have a life. Now, let me give you a radical thought out of Genesis chapter 4. Again, tying in this first fruit principle. Now, Cain and Abel come from direct lineage of Adam and Eve. They're boys. We pick up the story in verse 2. Abel became a shepherd Cain was a farmer. At harvest time, Cain brought to the Lord a gift from his farm produce. Cain brought to the Lord a gift, a portion. While Abel brought several choice lambs from the firstlings, from the best of his flock, the Lord accepted Abel in his offering, but the Lord did not accept Cain and his offering. This made Cain very angry and dejected. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well and bring the firstlings and the best, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to master you. But you, but you, bring your first and your best so that you can start to learn the secret of mastering it. Scripture says Cain rose up. He and Abel went outside and he killed his brother Abel. That's the phrase, raising Cain, raising hell, raising Cain comes from right here. So a gentleman asked me the other day, why did the Lord not receive Cain's offering. Because God had laid out already in his design with the principles, you bring the first and you bring the best and you bring the choice and the the first fruit principles was already laid out. So what you're asking God to do is to applaud something that is against what his blueprint says. So, so we would sit here and we would go, does that apply today? Listen, the, the truths in this scripture are timeless, meaning they're true for all people of all places of all times. This is an inspired living book. So if we violate the, pro- the promises and the principles of God, can we expect God to bless us? God even told Saul before David is anointed king, go to the land, destroy the Amalekites, do all of this. God's like, I want to bless you. And then Saul doesn't fulfill what God had asked him to do. He compromised and negotiated. 
then God looks at him and says, do you not realize that partial obedience is like witchcraft? Does that apply in all areas? I believe so. So we want God to bless us. If a person said, I'm spiritual, I'm mature, I'm a godly leader, really, yes. But they never read their Bible, they never studied it, they never prayed, they never shared their faith with anyone, they refused to fellowship, they were mistreating their spouse, you would go, that's crazy. No, 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 no. People that love God will be in the word, they will be in prayer, they will be in fellowship, they will share. Their, this is just, just stuff that happens as an overflow. But for some odd reason in the church, we think that we can be spiritual and maybe we're reading the Bible and maybe we're praying and maybe we're sharing our faith, but we're robbing God. You're not spiritual, you're still carnal. Because you're not being faithful with what God has called you to be faithful with. Now, I'm telling you, this is crucial. You will not be a champion by being a thief. The two do not run on the same track. Don't happen. So, I want to I finish this up by talking about how to steward, how to manage his money and resources in the right way. It's in your bulletin, but I want you to get this. How do I steward and manage his stuff the right way. Number one, realize that what you have is not yours, it is his. If I miss this principle right here, I'm going to miss them all. All right, what I've got is a gift. What I have has been entrusted. What I have is I'm a manager and a steward of what belongs to another. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all, oh, there's another word, all, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and the people who dwell in it. Remember the little song we used to sing, this is my father's world. It is my father's world. Let me say it another way. Everything you have, everything you receive, everything you give belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. That's when we talk about taking care of ourselves mentally and physically and spiritually and emotionally. Why, why are you doing that? Because I'm managing what belongs to somebody else. That, that's good. I came into the world empty-handed. When I leave, I'm going to leave empty-handed. Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes, you know, it doesn't make a lick of sense to go out and make all this money and bust your tail every day to, to accumulate only to die and to leave it to the next generation who burns through it and acts like a fool. This too is vanity. Well, since I can't take it with me, I want to be wise on how much I leave behind. It's an important principle. Number two, know the truth. You got to know the truth. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth. Purchase truth. Get wisdom. Get instruction. Get understanding. Buy it. If you could get anything, Solomon prayed for wisdom. If you can get anything, buy truth. Get as much truth, understanding, wisdom, discernment as you can. 
Proverbs 13, 11, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows. People come to you with these different ideas and these different products and say, hey, you're not going to believe it. We can get you out of debt in 45 days. And people tell me if it's too good to be true, it's probably too good. It takes a long time to build and to build and to build. This is a great proverb, 1311. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes, it disappears. It's not the way you do it, but wealth from hard work. So how do you get the truth? And how do you know the truth? I, I would encourage you, sit down and go, how much do we make? How much do we owe? How much do we spend? How much do we give? How much do we spend on groceries? How much are we spending on power? How much are we spending on insurance? How much are we spending on automobiles? How much are we spending on tattoos? How much are we spending... But it's good to know that, is it not? That one applies to my boy Benji big time. Getting a new tattoo right there, Dad, where I had my Tommy John. What's it going to say? Jehovah Rapha. Well, you better get Jehovah Jireh right above it. I want him to provide before you declare him healer. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't know how much you make and if you don't know how much you're spending and if you don't know where your money's at, you're not being a good steward. Three, get out of debt. Get out of the chains. Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrow and never repay. But the righteous, they're gracious and give. I was watching the GOP the other night. And the one dude who supposedly has made millions, they said, you filed bankruptcy four times. He said, I was just taking advantage of the laws of the land. But when he was asked, what's your favorite book? He said, the Bible. Hold, hold, hold on, slick. <laughs> God says he's opposed to the proud, but give grace to the humble. I don't know how far into it you've read but when you file bankruptcy and you refuse to pay back those that you owe, be careful. Just because you're able to verbally fascinate and assassinate a crowd with your great eloquence and power, be careful. That's my favorite book. Well, you better know what it says. And if you borrow, pay it back. Listen to what he says. But the righteous are gracious, and they give. What's the contrast? Righteous, they don't live in debt. They don't owe everybody. They're not in bondage. They're able to live with some freedom. Get out of debt. If you're in there, we want to help you. Hebrews 13, 5, stay away from the love of money. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be satisfied with what you have. So you can obtain a lifestyle. You can obtain a new house. You can obtain a new car. But what does that look like in maintaining it next week, next month, and next year? Where does the simplicity of life factor in? Don't put yourself in such change that you have no freedom to do life. There's more money. Steve and I were talking about this the other day. I mean, the average family in America owes like 7500 
right now on their credit card. The average family, 7,500 get out of debt. I told you, we will not ask you to do nothing that we're not doing. I promise you. When we got married, all right, here's the deal. We're going to 10, 10, 80. We're going to give the first 10. We're going to save 10. And we're going to live on 80. So that first house I bought for $39,000, guess what? It worked. It worked. Live on 80. If we have a credit card, it must be paid off at the end of every month when we get the bill. We've been married 25 years. We have never paid an interest payment on a credit card. Why? Buy another can of beans. <laughs> Y'all going out to eat? Not tonight. Because I, don't, I do not want to walk my wife and my kids into debt, into chains, into bondage. Do I say that pridefully? I say that prayerfully. That when you apply the principles of God, I promise you with all my heart, remember, pastor, teacher, equip the saints to do the work of the service so that they will be mature and grow up. Get those people out of debt. You go, I need help. Steve and Greg are getting ready to start a new track of our class, Dollars and Cents. See them in the Ask Me area at the end. We would love to help you. Number four, prioritize your life. Prioritize your life. Listen to this passage out of Deuteronomy 14 through 23. Bring the tithe, first fruits, 10%, plus bring the tithe to the place where the Lord's name is honored. The purpose of tithing is, to, look, don't miss it, don't miss it. The purpose of tithing is, the purpose of tithing is, to teach you always to fear the Lord and to keep him first. We never will teach that the reason we tithe is because God needs our money. He owns it all. He, he's not on welfare and he's not in debt. God says, let me tell you why I gave you the tithe. The purpose is to teach you to fear me and keep me first and always bring the best to me. Again, it's the principle of Malachi 3. Bring your full tithe to the house of the Lord. Test me, test me. So we started the year by saying, test him. Test him in this. We challenge you to tithe and honor God in this area of being faithful. Give it 100 days. If God has not blessed you and provided and been so faithful, whatever you've given, we'll write you a check back for what you gave. We believe the principles of God. We just want you to move into being faithful with it. You go, how did that work? Well, let me tell you how it worked. And I want you to hear this if you've been here for a bit. Right now as a church, right now, we are $40,129 above where we were at this time last year. Did you hear that? We are $40,129 above where we were at this time last year. That's going through a July where we were 18,000 behind just for the month of July and 4,000 behind in June. We're ahead. How, how, how did it happen? How did it happen? In January, 
I use this latter illustration to show the giving units in this church and the amount and percentage that people were giving. And we laid it out. You can go back and watch that sermon from January. Do you know that those that were giving nothing, we've seen a 24% increase from doing nothing now to doing something? 24% increase. That's a real number. And then we saw the number bump from those who were doing something, meaning between a dollar and 250 a year or 250 and a thousand or whatever. We've seen an increase in people that are now tithing. We've seen a 33% increase in the last eight months in people saying, I'm going to start tithing. Now, we have another group that Steve kind of breaks down called extravagant givers. Those are the the people that give beyond. We've seen a 50% increase in extravagant givers. Which, if you do the math, in this church, it means it's gone from 16 families to 24 families. But if that number went from 16 to 32, we would see a 100% increase of how many people are saying, I'm either going to trust God or I'm not. I'm either going to do it or I'm not. I'm either going to be faithful or I'm not. Now, that being said, at this time last year, we were about $30,000 behind on our budget. So this is the first time we've ever walked into August ahead. When I got at this church four and a half years ago, they were $70,000 behind on its mortgage. I'm talking about way behind. I'm not even talking about with budget. I'm just talking about with mortgage. And so we've seen God clean up the culture. We've seen God start to uh, eliminate a lot of chaos and distractions. We've seen people go from being consumers to distributors, from takers to givers. And when that starts to happen, you get fired up. The first two years, we were trying to stabilize and get this church out of the triage unit. For the last year and a half, we've been able to play offense. I want to be an offensive church. I don't want to play it safe. I want to take risk. So that's a real thing. What happened? A lot of you sitting there said, it's time to obey. It's time to move. It's time to trust. And we've seen countless stories radically changed. Many have come to faith in Christ. Many have been baptized. Many are sharing testimonies of how they've grown in their fear and just trust of God. Point five, get started. All of this would be for naught if you didn't get started. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to realize that everything I've got is really not mine, but it's his. I'm going to know the truth. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to prioritize my life. I'm going to start getting my priorities straight. I call it P-E, prioritize and emphasize. But I got to get started. Psalm 37.5, commit your ways to the Lord. Trust him and he will do it. If you will commit to the Lord, his principles, just trust him and watch him work. He'll do it. We believe that tithing and giving is not random, it's not occasional, it's not emotional. We believe rather that tithing and giving is systematic, it's disciplined, and it's planned. In your bulletin, we talk about get automated, get a plan, get a system to honor God. And we all have to have those. Now, the cool thing is, All of us can do it if we will choose to say, I want to be a faithful 
steward. Now remember, God didn't give us tithing for him. He said the purpose of it was for us as a reminder to keep him first and center. Make sense? So this ain't no beg plea. This is a coaching moment to say, stay faithful. Do the things that would honor God. You can do it. Now, if the Lord took what you're actually given right now and multiplied it by 10, how would that look in your family? No, seriously. If God took what you're actually giving to kingdom work right now and multiplied it by 10, would your house be repoed or would you keep it and just keep living just strong? Would your salary maybe increase because you've moved into being extravagant? Or you go, if he multiplied it by 10, yeah. Would you be able to keep your cars? What would it look like? Buy into the 10, 10, 80. You give the first 10, the first fruits. Save 10. Get to the place where you can invest 10. Even live on the 70. You'll never regret being a faithful steward before the Lord. Let's pray. 